How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk, and today we have the incredible Clint Emerson joining us today. Clint is a retired former Navy SEAL. He is also the founder of Escape the Wolf, which focuses on crisis management for global companies, both small and large. He's also a best-selling author, and his recent book, 100 Deadly Skills, Combat Edition, uh, just came out recently, and I'm going to go on a here. I, have, I was familiar with your work before, um, your previous work, but... When I started seeing some of our mutual friends, Marcus Torgerson or Jason Johnson or Tony uh, Blower, I was like, man, what is this guy building? What is this thing he's creating? And <laughs> it, it kind of blew me away how, like I told you before, this is like a superhero comic book for real life superheroes. And uh, it's awesome work, man. Uh, thank you. Yeah, all those guys uh, obviously made the book what it is, but uh, for all of them to volunteer their time, um, and give up a couple of skills here and there uh, really turned out to be, you know, its own fighting system. You know, when you look at combat edition, the order in which I put it and it's, you know, there's some thought behind it and you're kind of learning the hand to hand stuff before you get into pistol. And then you, you learn a little bit of rifle and then obviously it ends with, uh, with sniper. So it's really this very holistic fighting system when you get done with it. You know, and if everybody just took all the basics that each guy teaches, you'd have a very advanced individual if they mastered all the basics in there. Just those hundred skills, man, they'd be a force to be reckoned with. And it, well, you mentioned it, but it, say you have someone like Marcus, but then you go into, uh, I can't think of the, 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 the jiu-jitsu master, or uh, you have some of these other tactical guys, but yeah, it might be a sniper rifle or a blade or a whatever, but the core of each person is that's why I took from it is that you don't have to be an expert per se. You could be a stay at home mom. You could be a, a father going grocery shopping, but all the little stuff you pull from these, these bastards, I would consider experts. It's fascinating that all the little intricacies of this is in each of these people. Yeah, no doubt. And that was kind of the goal is how do I open up the aperture on what defines a badass, right? Right. And then let's go interview him. So when you're talking like, you know, a, a one percenter, he's a former sergeant in arms for a very, very popular motorcycle club. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you get his point of view. And I consider him a badass. Right. But at the same time, you know, I went and got a ninja's point of view, you know, the first American ninja like Stephen K. Hayes. And then you know, it's for the, it's for the, it's for the reader. It's for the enthusiast. It's for the person who's interested in this kind of stuff to pick and choose what works for them, what they like. Right. It also introduces people to all the different arts, right? You got Krav, you got Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, you've got some blade stuff that's focused, that's kind of anchored to Kali, you know? Um, then you've got obviously ninjutsu. Then you just got bar brawling and then you got, you know, more of your, uh, kind of I would say hybrid stuff that special operators kind of put together uh that's that's kind of like uh a mixed dog of of skills right um but one of the 
the cool yeah. ones was Zoltan. Um, obviously, I'm in tour security, so I've toured with Five Figure when I'm with other bands. And and reading his thing, like knowing him and how he is, obviously on stage. But every time, like, not only would he be eating healthy or whatever, but he was always had the mats in the hallway or in the the arena gym. And it's like so it's cool seeing someone that on the outside, be like, oh, he's not he doesn't really think this way. He's not gung ho pro America or he's actually not the martial arts. Like, no, this guy live and breathe. Like I think five figure death watch is second nature now. Cause this guy lives and breathes what I would consider someone who loves the craft of martial arts, but also is about being just a, a legit, really cool, badass dude. He is man. And here's, what's great is he gave me more time. than <laughs> Some of the other guys that thought their time was, not nothing against him, but some guys thought their time was really, really valuable, which it is not taking that away, but a rock star giving me like a right. full day. We started early and then we didn't leave his house until, uh, you know, the sun was going down. I mean, the guy gave us everything he had and not to mention, <laughs> we go into his little fighting room <laughs> and Zoltan's like, uh, so I wonder, uh, I need a partner. Hold on one second. And he, he's texting. He's got, I got one of the Gracies staying over on the other side of the house. I'll just have him come over and he can play, uh, play the right. bad guy. And I was like, wait, say that again. You've got a Gracie staying here right now. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's just, you know, he's here training right now. You know, he's in, the, he's in Las Vegas training. So I'll just get him. And here comes Cayenne Gracie, you know, he's six foot four Brit kid that you're like, what the, right. I'm like, he's just staying in your guest room. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, was, uh, it was pretty funny. You, you mentioned, one of the topics I want to touch upon, when you talk to these different people, and obviously with your background, I would consider you obviously top of the echelon, whether it's a Navy SEAL, but your training and mindset, everything. But how do you deal with different people, whether you go to conventions or like a top show, top shot, or these other places where ego does kind of seep into people's mindsets who maybe some of these people that didn't want to give you enough time kind of think their shit don't stick. And so how do you kind of deal with these type of people? Yeah. You know, I was just kind of, I did a, you know, I posted a video about this, about like trying personally, I always try to maintain the new guy attitude. Right. And really what that means is, you know, never assume you're the smartest, fastest, strongest, baddest dude in the room. Um, maintaining a new guy attitude means I'm, I'm going to show up early. I'm going to stay late. I'm always going to be a student. Um, if I have the opportunity to be a teacher, then great, but that's a privilege. Um, I'm always competing against myself before I'm competing against my peers, but my peers are the things that motivate me the most because I want their respect. I want their loyalty. I want their trust. Right. So right. you, when you're a new guy in the SEAL teams, I mean, you live by that. And then what happens is you end up like that, at least for me and a lot of guys I know you end up like that the rest of your career and you couldn't ask for a better way to take people that are, you know, special in a lot of different areas. You get treated like rock stars whenever we're, you know, going, going around the world and doing operation right. missions. And it's real easy for the ego to kick in and be, Oh yeah, I'm a badass. I'm great. I'm cool. I'm this, I'm that. But, um, but because we, we instill such a new guy thing from the very beginning, when you show up, you're a nobody, you're a new guy, and you're going to earn your trident every single day. And so by the time I did my 20 years, I left still feeling 
like a new guy. And I treated this project like that. I went to every single one of these guys and was, you know, like, hey, you're the expert. I'm the student. And I just want to learn the basics of what you've got to offer. And, uh, and then at the same time, I've also learned that promoting others is far better than promoting yourself. You know, um, I'm much rather, you know, promote a Pat McNamara, Dom Rosso, Tony Brown, right. and all these guys are just awesome dudes. And yeah, I get a thrill out of, uh, giving them the spotlight they've earned than sitting here pushing my own shit. <laughs> it is kind of, it is kind of fascinating that social media, well, I think it's, I hate it. And we had issues before we started this, but like, I'm kind of like, it's so cool to see someone like Dom who does all this adaptive gear and stuff, but I'm Catholic, but seeing him post about his faith or Tim talking, showing videos of his fitness or you doing in your little, your little, uh, traveling, uh, <laughs> unit there where you're doing like this stuff where it's like senseless facts or stupid facts or laws yeah, yeah, and states yeah. like it's cool to see people like yourselves who i think gravitate towards other people gravitate towards you because you have these backgrounds and people aspire to train and learn from you but the social media is such a powerful tool right now and for seeing guys like you and what you guys do out there I, you do it is very cool seeing you put this stuff out here where it's like if, and how you how do you deal with negative people or people like oh this guy's a joke or what's he guys talking about I've done twelve more tours than he is so when you put yourselves out there you're letting the world into like into your kind of madness it's it's kind of it's pretty cool yeah no you're right I mean in the negativity piece um, I just I don't even I don't fall victim for it I remember when I first got out in social media I mean you're talking yeah. You know, five years ago, I retired, right? I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't. <laughs> yeah. um, but I remember on certain posts, you know, there would be some smart ass that would come in and say something. And I was dumb. I got sucked in and I did typical military stuff, you know, like, <laughs> why don't you tell your mom to shove her dick back in your mouth and shut the fuck up? And then my following came in and said, I can't believe you did that, Clint. I can't believe you talk like that to somebody. And I'm sitting there going, what do you mean? This is how we talk to each other. Right. <laughs> you know, so I had to, I actually started backing off on how I would just, you know, shove it down people's throats because I realized, wait a minute, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what, what these dudes think or what they say. And uh, the term troll obviously yep. applies to people like that who try to come in and uh, knock you, but you put yourself out there and what I've done ever since is just maintain hundred percent professionalism from beginning to end. I don't get sucked into politics and all the other crap. And I just give people the stuff that I feel like um, either they should know or um, information that I think that'll benefit them in some form or fashion. And that's right. really what the books are. The books are, it's, it's information, but it's also entertainment and right. I enjoy the, I've been a I've been a fan of Marvel in DC uh, since I was a kid. I mean, super heck, Superman, uh, dude. I I couldn't get enough of him when the the, the first like updated Christopher Reeve Superman movie yep. came out in the seventies. Um, I mean, I was I was hooked. I had two hundred pennies in my piggy bank, and I was living in this crap apartment with my parents. And I remember taking that whole jar of pennies down to the Seven Eleven. <laughs> because they had a dedicated magazine to the Superman movie, right? And so I dumped, you know, 199 pennies out on the, on the thing so I could buy 
that uh, Superman magazine. But you know, those are those are inspiring. Uh, uh, superheroes obviously aren't real, but they're inspiring enough to where it's like, man, I want to do something like that when I grow right. up. That would be cool. Um, and and not to mention with Combat Edition. To have Tom Mandrake do the illustrations, most people don't know who that is, unfortunately, but he's a legend in the Punisher work is incredible. Yeah. I mean, he is a he's a he's an illustrator. It's a legend, both at DC and Marvel. He created Swamp Thing like he owns Swamp Thing. He he is uh, a, a bunch of other. I mean, he he basically did the entire superman versus uh batman series i mean the dude's awesome so to have him a part of the project was just as great as having all these badasses and for the people that haven't got the book yet i do suggest it but you'll see stuff like marcus torgerson fighting uh hitler you'll see uh these different these experts these badasses fighting off against either some legendary evil villain or it's just very cool how you tie it together and Yes, it's very important information. I think everyone should learn and understand that even when you talk about everything could be a weapon, even that whole mindset where it's like, yeah, this is serious stuff, but you can still have fun with it. And I think that helps get the point across for someone that might be scared or be, oh, violence or active shooter. But it's like, well, no, it happens every day, but this is some stuff to make your life better, but at least have some fun with it in terms of learning. Yeah, yeah. No what is, uh, yeah, entertainment, right? You got to have right. It's a balance between information and entertainment in order to get the point across. One of the, I, w- I was just doing some research on you, not you, but like your other books. And back in 2015, I read a review where someone uh, basically, hey, Clint Emerson's new book out, Retired Seal. And the guy was like, it came off as very, and there was a guy that wrote it, but it came off as very, oh, it's fun, but like, this is too like gung-ho. This is this glorifying violence. And I, I just lost you. I'm still, can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. So this guy was just like, very like, yeah, right. it's entertaining, but, but then anyway, people in the comments are like, you do realize that two weeks after you, this review, there was a, there's a, there's a shooting, an active shooter situation where regular people had to. And so do, do you think this type of information or pushing your type of books scares people to the point where some people don't understand the importance of them? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think I know which article you're talking about. There was a couple, one was outside magazine. And yes. He, that's the one. I, yeah, oh yeah. God. The, what was interesting <laughs> though, is all the outside magazine subscribers came in and destroyed him. Right. Oh, it was amazing. Because he, you know, I remember doing the interview with him and he's, you know, he's in, I think he was in California and, you know, and there's birds chirping in the background and right uh you know he's probably a little more liberal than i am which is fine but um yeah he uh he wrote it in a he wrote it in a condescending humorous supportive way it was weird like when you read it you're like oh okay it's not that bad but he just didn't you know some people don't get it that's the thing it's a hundred deadly skills meaning if you don't know the skills then you might die right right so it's it's really giving you skill sets that I hope no one has to use, but I think everyone should know. It's that simple. Like, there is no reason not to just increase your awareness of these skills in some form or fashion, just in case, like I always say, a good day goes bad, you know, and you're going to be glad you knew that one little thing because it 
it, who knows, it may save your life, may save your family's life or just a, a or an innocent, you know, stranger standing next to you. Right. You yeah. have mentioned in the past that if you do the simple things really well, you, you could succeed. What did you mean by that? Yeah, so it goes back to a philosophy in our community where mastering the basics is what makes you advanced. And so the same thing applies to just about, I mean, it applies to anything. You know, we, a lot of times people want, like, they want to know, they're not, they're like, they want to skip the basics and they want to go straight to some, like, mythical ninja tactic that's somehow going to, you know, win every time. And it just, that doesn't exist, you know, right. it's, you have to, it's the basics that is really what makes you good at something. You know, when you talk about firearms, right, it, you, you're going to hear every expert out there, whether they're a professional three gunner or they're a sniper in the Marine Corps or, you know, they're, you know, a seasoned operator of SEAL Team 6, it's still going to go to sight picture in your trigger squeeze and your breathing. There's still these basic things that are always there um, that never go away. But well, people think, oh, I, I don't, yeah, 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 I got that. I want to learn what's, okay, now show me the cool stuff. It's like, well, right. no, there isn't. <laughs> the right. cool part is taking the basics and then going and using them in training or in real world operations. Uh, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, you know, I, we know the basics. We master the basics. The bad guys don't know Dick, and that's why we're crushing them right? Because right. they don't train, they don't master the basics. And so they end up losing every time. The, for people that aren't familiar with the Navy SEALs, the SEAL Team 1, 6, all this stuff, could you kind of give like a very kind of simplistic way of what, what each team means or like what, what's the difference between the different teams? Yeah, so the United States Navy uh, numbers their ships, okay? The Pacific fleet is always odd numbers. If you see a big aircraft carrier and it's got an odd number on the side, like 43, then you know it's a Pacific fleet ship. If it's an even number, then it is the Atlantic fleet. So, and they deploy around the globe and uh, just like we do. So when it came to numbering the SEAL teams, it, they followed the same criteria. So SEAL teams one, three, five, seven, those are all on the West Coast, which is the gotcha. Pacific fleet. And then you've got, you know, two, four, eight, uh, and then, you know, the, the super secret SEAL Team 6 uh, on the East Coast, uh, which represents the Atlantic fleet. That's really, it, people think it's kind of like a tiered system, like you move right. up, but it's, it's not the case. Everybody in, in, the, in, the, in the SEAL teams are equal, um, but your, your, your regular teams uh, basically are theater-focused seals right. um, if you end up at like seal team six then that is considered a national level seals so um i you know i've known seals anywhere some that are better than others that are not at a national level command right so right. seals for the for the most part are all all good to go and then you can screen and get selected to go to a national level, um, which has a whole other selection process. Um, and then if you make it through that, because you're competing against, you know, other seals, whereas in buds, you're competing against other sailors. Right. Um, then you get to hang out at, you know, at that tier one command. Uh, so yeah, that's it. That's the simplest I can put it. 
Interesting. So when you retire from the Navy SEALs and the military, was was that your first option, writing books and furthering education and training? Like, how did you kind of have a, and it's weird to ask you this, but how did you have the confidence to put a, write a book? Because this is much different than serving your country. Like, I imagine this is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so I was definitely one of the guys sitting in the squadron space. And if there was, you know, we got, you know, news going inside our squadron spaces and in the morning you're having coffee and you're watching this crap and you see some right. former seal talking head. And I'm definitely was one of the guys like, what a fucking prick, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the right. guy gets out, he's, he's making money off the trident and blah, 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 blah. I was, I was one of the guys. Right. And then you get out and now and within five years, I've become one of those guys. So, you know, I'm not on the news that much, but I'm definitely put myself out there. And so, no, writing a book was not a first choice. Doing Escape the Wolf in my crisis company, that right. certainly was my transition. Um, but then I had uh, an older kind of mentor of mine um, he, uh, that I had, I'd become friends with over the years. He said, hey, Clint, you want to write a book together? And he'd already published a bunch. He wasn't a SEAL, but he was a Naval Academy grad. And he was an officer during Vietnam and great guy. And so he's like, yeah, let's just do like a, you know, we'll have a, we'll do a fun book. And I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> so we put a proposal together and he already had ends with Simon and Schuster up in New York and had agents and he knew that whole system. So he puts it in, of course they buy the concept in the pretty much the day that we got the contract, he had to go, he threw his back out and had this crazy back surgery where they had to cut him open on the back and then flip him over and cut his stomach open and go to his vertebrae from the other side, fuse it together. He had a horrible recovery and he basically was like, dude, you're on your own. And we hadn't even started yet. <laughs> and I was like, what? So uh, yeah, the, I just, you know, I basically uh, figured it out and, you know, I got it done. And within eight weeks, it made the New York Times list and sat there for uh, eight months straight. I mean, you, awesome. I mean it was, part of it is, I mean, let's face it, I'm humble enough to know that it doesn't matter if it says Clint Emerson on the cover or not. The fact that it says retired seal, that sells, right? Correct. Um, and then what's inside of it is right. the part that becomes really important because you could have a lot of people buy that book because it says seal on the front. But if the content inside sucks, trust me, Amazon <laughs> is going to hear about it, right? right. <laughs> so you're going to get one star and you're going to get a whole, you're going to get thousands of bad comments. Um, right. So, you know, I was really nervous about that. And I was like, damn, I hope this thing does okay. I hope people understand my kind of tongue in cheek sense of humor through the first right. book, you know, because I had how to dispose of a body, a rectal concealment. You know, I had some taboo right. stuff. And uh, I got lucky. Everybody understood my humor. So I was like, all right, cool. And, uh, and obviously the series has been doing, uh, doing great since. So With Escape the Wolf, did you notice anything different how the pandemic affected that line of work? Oh, you? yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in what sense? It more so that there's bad guys are just multiplying or the shutdown just kind of really amplified the issues that were going on? Yeah, I mean, I was on a roll with a new product that we just launched, right, called The Solution. And it's like a crisis management department in a box. It's plug and play. 
It allows a company to be federally compliant. It holds up in court and it protects the employees. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better package. I spent years putting it together. We got a couple of sales with some Fortune 500 guys and then uh, the pandemic hit. And, it, you know, and of course, all these big companies basically went into survival mode. And the last thing they were going to do with their budgets is use it on crisis management in the middle of a crisis, right? <laughs> so yeah, but, um, a little bit of an oxymoron, but that's what they do. So they dumped all their money towards operations to keep the doors open, keep people right. employed. I totally get it. So that I was on this ramp, you know, Inc. Magazine did a whole article on yep. Keep the Wolf and it was like about to hit that curve and then boom, just got shut down. So, you know, whatever it happens. And now it's like, okay, you know, things are going to start. I, what I'm guessing is, and it's already started. You know, I got a company in Chicago that came full circle, right? They were on, they were like on board with us right before the pandemic. It happened. They went crickets, right? They went silent. Right. But now I was on the phone with them this morning and boom, they're, they're back in the game again. So I think, especially as mass shootings are on the rise again, uh, you, the solution, this product is going to become very popular and have, and hopefully, you know, get the, get the attention it deserves because a lot of people put a lot of work into it. One of the things you always post about, obviously talk about your books is making security a habit. Now, could you kind of explain for the listeners and viewers kind of what you mean by that? Yeah, it's, um, we all have lifestyles we live, right? And, uh, and I kind of compare it all the time to a seatbelt. There was a time when we didn't want to put seatbelts on. In fact, we hated it. And we didn't want the government telling us that we had to wear seatbelts. Right. Uh, and now you don't even remember when you put your seatbelt on or when you take it off a hundred times in a day. It's become a habit. It's become part of your lifestyle. And so when it comes to safety and security, it's, you can do the same thing. It just like any forming any habit, it just takes time and you got to do it. It's got to be, you know, repetitive. Uh, and then before you know it, you're doing it like you're doing your seatbelt. You don't even know you're doing it. Right. And that's the goal. Right. So whether it's, you know, paying attention a little more to the things that matter. Um, maybe it's, you know, with how you dress and how you pick your wardrobe out in the morning. Um, you know, maybe it's, you know, some of the things you do at night with your house, you know, and how you illuminate it and the lights you turn on and turn off at right. the same time every day. You know, it's, it's really just start paying attention a little bit and tweak things here and there. Uh, and before you know it, you'll just be doing that kind of stuff all the time, every day. When you go out to the mall or a restaurant with your family or your friends, in the back of your mind, are you always looking for exits and where your back position? Are you one of those guys that's always aware yeah. of what's going on i mean let's face it you know another phrase i've said a thousand times you know what used to be the wrong place the wrong time is now any place at any time so right. it, it you know no matter where you're at or what you're doing something bad can occur um, that's been proven time and time again so you've got to try and mitigate as much as you have control of and we don't have a whole lot of control of everything you know you right a 50 50 deal right you right. can have your seatbelt on a full tank of gas and observe all of the traffic lights and still get T-boned in an intersection by an idiot who ran a red light. So the same thing applies when you're at a restaurant, the grocery store, picking up coffee, whatever it is you're doing, it's part of your daily pattern of life. Um, you just have to, you know, 
pay attention. If you can't put your, if you can't put your back to a wall, great, fine. But now you've got to just, you can also shift your seat and now you're fine. Right. It's, right. A, it's an angles game. It's not rocket science and you don't need to be some paranoid weirdo. That's always, you know, aiming for the, the wall <laughs> and, right. and, and, and doesn't want to sit anywhere else when all you have to do is change your angle just that much. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not rocket science. Right. And it, obviously your latest book, but what I love about it is that you, you talk about anything can be a weapon and you have the expert on there with the cane, uh, which kind of right. blew me, obviously blew me away. Uh, but then you have the one percenter who's talking about the bar fights and the situations with the glass and doors and whatever it's, it, it kind of, I can see where that type of stuff would scare someone who doesn't, who doesn't want to believe that that violence exists when it truly does. Yeah. And it, it's kind of, uh, again, though your book was, a, had a cool way of showcasing that violent stuff does happen, but here's how you can defend yourself or protect yourself. And it was, it's kind of cool. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Those, the cane, I, I mean, I don't, I still don't, I'm, I'm like, if I get older, I'm just going to literally use a cane, but trade. I need like 10 years to trade with it. You don't, you don't. that's the beauty of it. Like that, like some of the moves is all just right here in your wrist. When the horn is forward, the pointy part of the crook, right. when that's forward, that's basically war mode. When it's flipped around, that's just admin. That's kind of how you'd carry it all day long. Um, if you, and, and like you said, if people go straight to, well, when I get older, but the reality is if, if you don't have like an ego thing or an embarrassing thing, right? I, I mean, I have a little bit of that issue. I don't, I've carried it a couple of times and you get the looks, right? Cause people probably think what the hell's wrong with that guy. But, um, but I tell you, dude, that is, that is an, that is the ultimate defense weapon. Yeah. I mean, to be able with just certain techniques, you can get the tip of that thing clocked at 150, 180 miles an hour. And um, the company that makes these tactical canes, they do it out of, uh, what is it? It's not mahogany or oak. It's, you know, some very dense wood. It's going to hurt. What are baseball bats made out of? It's the same. So, uh, gotcha. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it is literally like legally carrying a baseball bat that's it's a weapon that's already drawn and it's always ready like it's faster than a knife it's faster than you can draw your gun so and you always have it and you can carry it on an airplane in a church in a school because hipaa laws prevent people from asking you why do you have that cane well it's kind of funny because in the event security world when you advance a show with these arenas these hey you can't bring in uh sides with sticks attached to them but you can that person can walk in with a cane who can do just as much damage (laughs) you can't let your pocket knife in but let's make sure that Cade gets in here. It, it oh, kind of, yeah, it kind of got awesome. me thinking. It's just amazing that anything could really be a weapon. And so yeah. I remember years or a couple of years ago, I was on next to a plane and um, I had just got my, some stupid pocket knife that didn't really care. It was just in my bag and like, whatever. But the woman next to me had knitting needles. And I'm like, man, do you realize if I grab all these needles, I could stab literally everyone. Just... And so right. I don't think people realize that anything really can be a weapon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's limited only by limit by imagination, really. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of uh, and and they're everywhere. It's just getting people to think outside that box, you know, and um, start kind of looking at themselves. When you look at like some of the the old school or look look at 9-11 that they, they, you know, United was at 95. Is that the number? Did I get the number right? I hate to miss that. I 
thinks uh, the one up that you went in 93 93 93 yeah you know let's roll the comment yes. let's yep. roll. yeah i mean they got they got pretty creative using the cart and you know magazines you know that they had they could use as, as shields and um you know and that when it's a life or death situation sometimes that creativity is it's a must if you want to get out of it alive so uh yeah improvise adapt and then i love watch. it you also have the violet nomad brand what's what is that about what's the history of that and uh it's oh, yeah. a really great name so in book one hundred dollar skills the first book the yellow cover um that book i, I the only place you'll see seal is because it's part of my title, right? Retired. Correct. So it's on the cover. Um, but inside, I refer to the violent nomad. I don't say, hey, Navy SEALs do this and Navy SEALs do that. I say violent nomads, right? A violent nomad is someone who is self-reliant, self-rescue orientated. Uh, they, because a nomad really can survive, right? They know how to survive the best right. out, of, out of anyone because they're moving and they kind of, you know, they deal with everything in the environment as necessary. Uh, and the violent nomad is someone who can flip the switch when necessary, you know, and defeat violence with violence. But because I use that violent nomad as a reference, as a, almost like a character in 100 Deadly Skills, people started going, hey, do you have violent nomad t-shirts? I'm like, nope, but I'll make one. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so I made one, then that turned into a couple and then it's like yeah now it's a full-on you know it's its own brand and it's its own e-commerce site you know and people yeah can i saw uh, marcus Torgerson. he's been on my show a couple times and he wore it one time and after i'm like dude where'd you get that shirt because like i didn't know what it was at the time I'm like dude it just sounds i picture like book of eli like desperate <laughs> like hobo just about to start killing people and sure enough oh no clint i'm like damn that's so cool yeah it's just uh i mean there's a whole other story I gave, so when I was in the teams, um, on the side, I worked on a, on what I hope was going to become a real project. And it was, uh, like naked warrior based, right? How do I take an operator, give him the education that he needs, put him on business class, business casual, send him overseas, he lands, and then he still pulls off an elaborate mission without ever needing a black box, a gun or anything, right? Because he's right. got so many MacGyver skills that he can go to the store, he can buy this, buy that, and still do what needs to be done, right? right. And I named this program Violent Nomad. And uh, that program name, though it was never classified, um, and some people even just, some of my my leadership even kind of laughed at me when I brought it all up like okay you're trying to create like basically an assassin world right and um Hitman. you know it was kind of funny but so because it never went anywhere and it was something that I was uh you know pretty passionate about towards the end of my career I went ahead and you know took some of the skills that I thought someone should know in this code name I came up with and wrapped it up into 100 deadly skills Love it. Yeah. Um, you also, one of my last questions was if you're, you're an entrepreneur through and through, and I know some veterans that get out guy, girl, no matter what branch, I think there's, and obviously you've had a great career and you've had the success and you had that longevity, but the, the guys, the men and women that get out after their uh, four to six years that, that are, that are lacking those entrepreneur skills. Do you think the military 
or the civilian world. And I know there's programs like SkillBridge that work with these entities, but do you think there's enough being done for the veterans who might not have your drive per se, but should have the keys to the car to actually maybe work an idea they have? Oh man. I mean, I can only base it on my experience and the military is first to say, tell you that, you know, yeah, we want to set our veterans up for success when they transition. Right. Um, heck they've even made that term transition, like yes. famous, right. Um, and they also say families come first, which is the furthest from the truth. Right. Right. So it's not to really bash DOD because their job isn't to make sure that you're okay when you leave because it's a voluntary service. You sign the dotted line every four years choosing to stay. And at the end of the day, it's not their responsibility to make sure that you transition successfully. It really isn't. But um they could have better programs, you know, when I was getting out there, you know, there's taps, I think, yep. if, I don't even know what the hell it stands for anymore, but it kind of like, yeah, this is how you build a resume and this is how you do this. And this is how you, you know, a little bit of like almost public speaking, get up and, you know, talk in front of people and they make you do some things. There's some life Res skills resume there. stuff too. Yep. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's decent life skills, but I wouldn't say that it's setting you up to be successful. Right. You really have to just, what I did is I, at the 15 year mark, you know, I went, all right, what am I going to do? I know I'm staying until 20, but now it's time. So escape the wolf. And that's where that evolved. Right. Yep. And I took any time I could to start focusing on that in what a service member needs to do, take it upon themselves to start transitioning long before the Navy, the army, the Marine Corps, the air force, the coast guard, is even telling you to, right? So five right. years out, you have to start your transition and do not waver. Like you come up with a plan, knowing it's going to change, but stick with it, you know? In that way, five years, you can get a lot done to make sure that the day you get out and you give them that fancy white cat card and they give you back this flimsy, blue, crappy, laminated <laughs> retirement card, which is a symbol, that, that's the best symbolism I can ever give you. You know, you're, oh, here goes this cool car with a, with a microchip on it that gets me in and gives me all these privileges. And then now after 20 years of service, I get this flimsy little crap card that, you know, the YMCA could produce a better version of. But, you know, it's, it's on you. It's on you. Right. At the end of the day. Yeah. And you just got to, you just got to come up with a plan. It's probably going to change a thousand times. That's okay. Just do it. Well, it's just cool seeing you be that person, but it's, it, it must motivate others. I mean, it motivates me, and I'm not a veteran per se, former law enforcement, but it's motivating to see someone care about what they're learning and doing and trying to change the world for better. And for you to keep doing what you're doing, it's just awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I hope it does, man. I don't, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's fun to do what you like, right? And that's the other right. piece of the equation is people that are transitioning, no matter if it's military or not, you want to switch into something, you want to go for whatever you're passionate about, then do it. Don't hesitate. Like just, you know, you be deliberate, right? Meaning right. you're going to do the research. You're going to figure out step one, step two, step three, step four, be very deliberate, but go after the passion, you know, and you'll end up 
so much more happier because now you get to pay your bills with money that you earn doing something you love, which is at the end of the day, you know, America and capitalism and it's here to be taken and you should take it. So before I let you go, where can people find you on social media? Yeah. Instagram and Facebook obviously are the two biggest platforms. Uh, YouTube is it's okay. I just don't post to it regularly enough. Um, and then you can find out everything about my entire ecosystem at clintemerson.com. So pretty easy. Love it. Love yeah. it. This was a blast. Uh, make sure everyone picks up this new book. Uh, one of the things we actually talk about is you can actually scan some of the codes and kind of create like this whole other type of cool thing with this book. Yeah. Combat edition. I, I yes, I definitely took it to the next level. <laughs> yeah, you have, for every skill, you have a narrative, you have an illustration, and then embedded in each illustration is a QR code. You know, QR codes failed years ago because not enough people had smartphones, but now everybody's got them. So you put it on camera mode, you point it at the QR code. It takes you to a video of that expert teaching you that exact skill. So there's almost a hundred videos that come with that book. Um, nothing else out there like it. It's a, it's a collision of modern day and old school publishing, uh, hopefully to give people the most comprehensive education and fighting that they can get anywhere uh, other than at right. um, or at an well, MFT place. Yeah. I think the only thing this book is missing is maybe like a scratch and sniff because you have every other sense on here. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea maybe i'll do the next <laughs> yeah no, that's kerosene uh but clint this was a blast thank you for this uh much success to your book and uh stay safe out there yeah you too thanks for having awesome. me man. thank you take care thank you all for checking out this week's episode once again i'm john if you liked what you heard and saw today subscribe to our youtube channel find us on instagram facebook and twitter and check out our brand new merch store with hats coffee mugs t-shirts other cool stuff coming down the pipeline Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.